Exodus chapter 30, verse 22 says, Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, of sweet cinnamon, half as much, 250 shekels, of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, or olive oil, a hen. You may be seated this morning. So we're going to continue in our study on the anointing. This is going to be ingredient number four, but part five of our series on uh, the anointing. I want to remind you briefly why we are studying this. Without going into too much uh, detail, actually, let's start by praying over the word real quickly, and then we'll get into the detail. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray that as we open up your word and we begin to share and fellowship with you in that, Lord God, that you would bless this word with an anointing, that you would bless it, Lord God, for the hearers, and you would open our hearts and our minds and our spiritual eyes this morning to be able to see clearly and receive, and again, do the work in us that only your word can do. We believe you for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 So we talked a little bit about um, the way that we study, uh, the way that we believe at, at Edgewater Church, but also believe, obviously, the Bible points it out in uh, a lot of different scriptures. I'm just going to share one with you this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse number 20, as a reminder, says that God gave us, uh, I'm sorry, it says that the invisible things of the world are clearly seen, and that's something that we need to comprehend right off the, right off the bat. The invisible things of the world, everybody say Spiritual. So we can't see God. The Bible says no man at any time has seen God because God is a spirit. Also, the things that God is doing in your life cannot necessarily be seen when he's working in the spirit uh, to do whatever it is that he's doing in your life. The gifts of the spirit, you cannot physically see what's going on while somebody is prophesying or speaking in tongues or the interpretation. Of course, all of that happens audibly. But when you're laying hands on somebody, you cannot see when somebody is praying the prayer of faith and uh, healing for somebody that is sick, there, there's no way to explain metaphysically how that happens because it happens in the spiritual realm and that's not visible to the naked eye. But Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, invisible things are clearly seen, spiritual things, being understood by the things which he made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that we're without excuse. And today's message is not on the Trinity. Um, can we get Romans one twenty on the on the board uh, real quick? Um, but that is a that is a very deep subject. The Godhead. That's the Bible word for Trinity. How God is three in one. That is such a deep, mysterious concept. And in some churches, you'll hear that it is an, an, an unknowable, inexplicable concept. But I think the Bible says right here differently. Even His eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse. In other words, he physically gave us something to be able to explain every spiritual and visible aspect of the God that we serve. If you want me to, if you haven't heard our teaching on that and you need to know what the visible concept is to teach you about the mystery of the Godhead or the Trinity, it's not an egg. I'll tell you that. It's not an egg. If you've, some of you are going, what are you talking about? If you've been around Christianity for a while, you've heard that example. Um, and it's good. Uh, man, it's dark over here. 
but uh, but it's not an egg. Uh, but this morning we're talking about the anointing. So here's here are some things. I'll run through this for you really briefly again. Uh, the Old Testament is really a thick conglomeration of books, thirty nine books, very thick. The New Testament is a good number of books as well, about twenty seven. I think it's twenty seven and thirty nine is how it's broken up. But the New Testament is so much thinner than the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever had that question or made that observation. The reason why is Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Before God can reveal to us, as Jesus Christ said in John chapter 3, trying to speak, speak to Nicodemus about being born again. And Nicodemus was not fully understanding, and Jesus Christ said, if I speak to you of earthly things, because he was using physical birth as an example, and you do not understand these earthly concepts, there's no way I can speak to you about heavenly concepts. You have to understand first things first. First things first in the Bible is the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God gave mostly physical examples of who he is, who we are, how to worship him, how to serve him, as a great example to show you why one is so thick and one is so thin. I think the tabernacle is probably the best example. You can start uh, really in the book of Leviticus with a lot of the laws, but technically in the book of Exodus, all the way through the rest of the Torah, the end, the end of Deuteronomy. And in that uh, mixture of chapters, there are some 50 chapters, not verses, 50 chapters, mostly in a row, explaining nothing but the physical elements of the earthly tabernacle. How to make it, where to put it, how to do the service in it, who does the service, when they do the service, all of the details about the service, all of the articles of worship, down to the nitty gritty. How many folds are in the curtain? That's why a lot of people don't read the whole Bible, because they come across a verse, they already don't understand what they're reading, and then it says there were five folds in the curtain, and you're like, you know what, I don't need this, and I don't need this. Five folds in the why am I reading about five folds in the curtain? There's a reason for it. And it actually is an amazing reason when you get the revelation of every single thing that the tabernacle is talking about. My point, though, is it takes 50 chapters to explain that. Now, think about the Jewish mindset, the Hebrew mindset. So a young Hebrew child has to memorize the Torah or the Pentateuch, if you want to use the New Testament word for it, the first five books of the Bible. By the time he is roughly 10 or 11 years old, memorize the whole thing in Hebrew. So this kid, young man, young woman, has... A complete, while it's just textbook and not really revelatory, a complete explanation of what the earthly tabernacle is. One thing that he'll learn as he's learning about this tabernacle, because he understands the Hebrew months that are, that are listed in the book of Exodus, is that it took Moses exactly nine months to build the tabernacle. He'll understand that the tabernacle is a house of skin. He'll understand there's only one entrance into the tabernacle, and it's on the left side. There's a hole, a gaping hole there. He'll understand that the Spirit of God lived inside of that tabernacle and spoke through uh, Moses as he went in and out of the tabernacle as a mediator. He'll understand the three types of skin that covered the tabernacle to make the house. And I'm going to go into details, but the point being, so we fast forward to the New Testament. The Hebrew mindset has 50 chapters of understanding of what a tabernacle is. The American mindset has zero. We think a tabernacle is a tent. If you've even heard the word tabernacle, you might think it's a choir. It's not a choir. It's a, it's a, it's a tent uh, for all intents and purposes. And then Jesus Christ shows up and the Bible says, well, it, in reality, it says he dwelt among us, but the Greek word is tabernacled. But in black and white, it says the tabernacle of God is among men. 
So for me and you, what we do is, pastor number one says, well, I think a tabernacle, Jesus being the tabernacle means this. We have a standard on the ground, we put a denominational title on it. Go, this is our understanding, this is what we believe. Somebody else goes, well, I don't think that's what tabernacle, I think tabernacle means something else. And they put their standard on the ground, put the denominational title on it, and this is what we believe. And then four more people do it, five more people do it. Before long, you have one religion, Christianity, hundreds of denominations based on understandings and misunderstandings of what the New Testament said with no explanation behind it of what the Old Testament already taught. But the, the Hebrew mindset would know as soon as the Bible says the tabernacle of God is among men, they understand, oh my God, this Jesus guy is then conceptually a house of skin that the Spirit of God lives inside of that was in Mary's womb for nine months being prepared and every article of worship that goes into that tabernacle is encapsulated inside of this man. In other words, he is the menorah. He is the light of the world. He is the Ark of the Covenant. So he is the covenant. He is the table of shoe bread, which there were 12 and he has 12 disciples and he's the bread from heaven. He is all of these things. Take all the wood and cover it with gold. He is 100% man, but 100% God. He is flesh and blood like you and I, at least the likeness of, but covered. He is gold. He is 100% pure, precious. So all of these things, but you and I cannot understand that. If we just read a scripture that says the tabernacle of God is among men. But that's all he has to say because he's in Israel talking to people. Whenever he says the word tabernacle, 50 chapters of knowledge. One word, 50 chapters. That's why your New Testament is so much thinner than your Old Testament. Why Galatians tells us the Old Testament is a great schoolmaster to be able to understand but not to follow lawfully. Read Galatians, it'll tell you that. Um, that being said, let's read a couple of scriptures on the anointing. I want to go to uh, Isaiah 10 and 27. It says, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall depart from off thy shoulder. And his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed by reason. Oh, I'm reading the wrong version of the Bible. Because of the anointing. Read that again. This is the King James Version. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. If you have a more modern version, it will say fatness, and you'll wonder why. Uh, the reason it says fatness instead of anointing is because the base of the anointing oil is olive oil, and olive oil is an omega fat, and so it's based on it, technically a fat. Uh, but that word is the anointing. And I want to read one more time. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden, now this is the burden of the enemy that's on your life, shall be taken away from off your shoulder. Everybody say, I need that. Yeah. His yoke, the yoke of the devil, from off thy neck. Everybody say, I need that. Yeah. And the yoke shall be destroyed. Everybody say, I need that. I need that. How will it be destroyed? Because of the anointing. The anointing is what destroys these things. Nothing else that you'll find or nothing else that I've found in the Bible. Does the Bible make a bold statement about being able to remove the yoke, remove the bondage of the enemy and destroy that yoke other than the anointing? Everybody say, I need that. I need that. Uh, Ted, if you would put the slide up uh, defining the word Christ in the New Testament for us. If that's not enough, then I want to re reiterate, this is the Greek word for Christ. Remember, Jesus is a name, Christ is a title. Jesus, literally, you would say Yeshua or Yahashua, 
Yeshua means Yahweh, our salvation. Yahweh is how you would is technically how you would say Jehovah. So Jehovah, our salvation. That's his name, Jesus. His title is Christ. And look at what Christ means. Anointed. Now, when you believe in Christ, you call yourself what? A Christian. So when you have labeled yourself a Christian unknowingly, perhaps, you have labeled yourself as anointed. And you are supposed to be anointed. What is the anointing, Pastor? Quite simply, it is the Spirit of God on the flesh of man doing things that the flesh of man cannot do. A man is not called to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. An anointed man is called to lay hands on the sick and see because man can't do that. The anointing can do that. A man is not really called to share the gospel for the purpose of breaking down the yokes and the bondages in your life. An anointed man is called. A man isn't called to cast out devils. Ask the seven sons of Sceva if you haven't read that story. I was told once upon a time when I was a younger man, older than I look, uh, that at the name of Jesus, every devil shall flee. Can I tell you a secret? That's not true. That sounds like sacrilegious. No amens on that one. Let me prove it to you. I have had some encounters. Well, the first encounter that I've had with that side of the spirit, first thing... When when that thing came on me and you knew what it was, you know what you're wrestling with when it happens. I thought, okay, I'm going to start saying the name of Jesus and this thing is going to run away. Okay, first of all, I I was sleeping when it happened. And so I'm like, come semi awake and I start trying to say Jesus and the thing has my tongue. My tongue's hanging out of my mouth. I'm slobbering down my face. Immediately, I'm thinking, nobody taught me anything about this. At the, at the name of Jesus. Oh, but by the way, if you can't talk, nope, they didn't follow up with that. Never thought of that. So I'm thinking in my head, this is unfair. This is not fair. This is a foul. Like God's watching, right? God's watching. The devil's doing this thing and he's cheating because I have one thing I can do and he's not letting me do it. That's not fair. I was getting angry and then you get a little bit scared and then you get angry again. And eventually my tongue started working. I stopped slobbering on myself. And I said, Jesus, and I felt real good about that. And I was like, ha, ah, here we go. Balls in my court. Nothing happened. I said it again. Nothing happened. Now, at this point, I'm getting desperate. And I think of my desperation when I yelled the name Jesus with a different incentive and meaning in my heart and probably God going, OK, that's enough. <laughs> uh, if it, it, it went away. Then I then I read a story in the Bible, Seven Sons of Sceva. This is where you can be sure that I'm telling you the truth. They walk into a house because they're getting all pumped up. They've heard Jesus talking. They're watching him cast out devils. He's like a rock star, superstar. He's healing people. Blind people are seeing. Deaf people are hearing. He's doing so much that he's literally asking people, please don't go tell anybody that I did this. And so what do they do right away? You sit a kid in a room with Oreos and and vegetables and everything else. You say, anything, just don't eat the Oreo. Uh, Well, God tried that with Adam and Eve, and they were grown people. Tell them not to do one thing. That's what they're going to do. I know Jesus knew that, right? So he says, don't go tell anybody what I did. Perhaps in the back of his mind, he's saying that's going to make them go tell everybody what I did. So they went and told everybody what he did. He's got a mass following. He can't even sit down to eat lunch without 7,000 people. So these seven sons of Sceva are seeing this and they're like, man, 
devils are running away in the name of Jesus. And this guy, his disciples are going out and all they're doing is saying in Jesus name and, and the devils are fleeing. Now for you and me, we're like devils fleeing, demons being a cat. What is that? Because we have hospitals and we have medicine and we have modern problems and we don't, some of us don't even believe in that stuff and we don't see it because we have, we have ways of masking it that they didn't have back then. You go over to Africa and you'll see what they were seeing and what they were talking about because there is no Walgreens to mask your symptoms. You're either getting a demon cast out or you're not surviving. So that's where they lived at that point. And so it's rock star status. And these guys, seven brothers, can you imagine seven brothers? They're probably talking about how God's favorite number is seven. And there's seven of them and they're real tough. And they're going to walk in. There's this guy in the city and he's got this demon and they're going to walk in and they're going to say Jesus seven times. One of them, each of them, they're talking about the walls of Jericho and marching seven times and everybody blowing a trumpet and we're going to do this thing. It's going to be amazing. They pull out their cell phones and all their friends are going to YouTube it. and They're going to be rock stars. It's going to be everything they ever wanted. So they walk in and they say these words. In Jesus name, whom Paul preached be gone or whatever they say, be cast out. It depends on what version you're reading. The demon turns around and says these words, Paul, I've heard of and Jesus, I've heard of who are you? (laughs) So the demon said, Jesus. So whoever told me every demon flees the name of Jesus, they lied. I'm not going to propagate that lie. By the way, if you ever go to cast out a demon, and the demon turns around and says, Paul, I've heard of right there. You should stop and say, hold that thought and just run. Because <laughs> what happens after that is not good. So uh, my point being, men aren't called to cast out demons. Women aren't called to cast out demons. Anointed people are called yes. to cast out demons. You need healing in your life. You need the anointing. You need victory. You need the anointing. You need power. That is the anointing. I don't care who you are or what you're doing for the Lord or what you feel like you're going to do in the future. You don't want to do it without the anointing. Even if you can get people to show up, they're going to be so bored. There's different ways to keep them together. But when you sit through, I don't want you to move on. You need the anointing. There's a danger that comes with the anointing, however. And I do want to highlight that danger before we highlight ingredient number four, which is the Keisha. And there's some really cool things about the Keisha. In all honesty, I don't even know if we're going to get to it today. I want to get to it. But first, I want to highlight the danger of seeking the anointing or being focused on the anointing, because there's a danger to that. Uh, the danger is mostly highlighted in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And once again, this thing is not working for me very well. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. And give me one second. And I'll tell you where we're going to start. Put your finger on Matthew 7. Put another finger on 1 Corinthians 13. Matthew 7, will start in verse number 21, and then we're going to flip over to 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, here's what's about to happen. When you come to church, you're not just supposed to hear a message. You're not supposed to hear a good message or a bad message. Hopefully you hear a good message. 
what you're supposed to hear, what's supposed to be able to happen is the Spirit of God using whoever's up front, whether it's the pastor, an evangelist, prophet, whoever, to speak to your heart what you need to hear. Every once in a while, a man in my position, anybody that, man or woman that steps into a pulpit, in my experience, I can't speak for everybody, in my experience, sometimes it's a lot easier than other times to realize what needs to be spoken to the heart. So what I'm about to say is not based on how good I think I am at what I do by any stretch of the imagination. What I'm about to say is based on the revelation of what I feel like God is wanting to speak to people's hearts. And what I want to say is this. This could be one of the most helpful sermons that you are going to hear for a very long time. What you need to do, though, is prepare your heart right now to receive that. If uh, if I have done anything as your pastor or acquaintance or however you know me to hinder you in any way, shape, or form from receiving the word that gets brought, you just set that aside for a second. Because I really believe that the Holy Spirit has something to speak directly to your heart this morning. It might not be, in fact, it shouldn't be what you want to hear. But it's going to be something that you need to hear. And then this is what's going to happen when I'm done. Some of you are going to shake your heads and go, yeah, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You're going to receive the message. You're going to be better off for it. Others of you are going to go, uh, I don't agree. There's nothing I can do about that. But I'm trying to tell you right now as your pastor, if you accept me as your pastor at all, if you trust me as your pastor at all, your reaction to what I'm going to preach is going to determine a lot of what happens to you in the next year. I feel that strongly about it. I know I'm, I'm setting up some. I'm setting it up pretty big. Oh, some of you are going, man, it's going to be good. It's not like that. It's not going to be good like that. I'm not. I'm not bringing some kind of real deep revelation or something you've never heard. What I'm what I'm bringing is hopefully something in the moment. And that's why I want you to be prepared for it. Matthew chapter seven, verse number twenty-one. Not everyone that says unto me. That's what happens when you get in the moment. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have we not cast out devils? And in your name have we not done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He doesn't validate them and say, yes, you did do those things. So the question kind of lingers. But they believe they did those things and they did them in Jesus' name. Some of that can be faked. Some of it would be really difficult to fake. And put yourself in the shoes of just a semi-level-headed human being. If you believe that the name of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to prophesy in, powerful enough to cast out demons with, are you going to have the fortitude to approach that man and lie to him about what you've done in his name? I don't think they're lying. I like that he doesn't validate it, but I don't think that they're lying. I think they really did those things. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to use some more scripture to show you why I think that. 
But I want to reiterate what they did. First of all, they call him Lord. That's more than most of the world does. That's a big step. In fact, in a lot of churches, you'll learn that that gets you through the gates of heaven. And in one manner of speaking, it does. In another manner, highlighted here, it does not. So we need to figure out where the difference lies. Yes? Are you with me? Lord, Lord, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father. Many will say unto me in verse 22, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Prophecy is a big deal. The Bible says it's the best gift. The Bible says it edifies the whole church. That's right, amen. Paul implores us, stops just short of begging us to prophesy because of the power of what that does in the kingdom of God and in human beings as individuals. Did we not prophesy in your name? That is a huge deal. And I think they did. Because they believe in him as Lord to an extent. At least they think he needs to be called that. They think it's powerful to do that. You don't walk up to a man that you think is that powerful and start making stories up. And in thy name have we not cast out devils? Well, you know, some of the devils that the demon, I'm sorry, that the uh, disciples went to cast out, that's all it took. Others, he said, prayer and fasting. So I don't even know because the Bible doesn't record. I would venture to guess, if I had to guess, if I had a little poetic license, I would think that the seven sons of Sceva cast out some weaker demons before they walked into this one house that we just talked about. Doesn't say they did that. Doesn't give any other account of them. But I know before I put 250 on the bench press, I warm up with like 135. And then I realized, you know what? Well, 135 is good. There's no reason to try to put 250 on the bar. Amen. So I'm just thinking they probably did a little bit of that. I don't. I mean, you can't prove that, but it'd be pretty dumb to walk right into like the strongest demonic household you could find right away. So maybe they did that. Maybe they're like the seven sons of Sceva. They cast out some devils in Jesus' name, but they couldn't cast out the big boys. And in thy name have we done many wonderful works. Well, who's defining those wonderful works? I guess they are. The point is, I will profess unto them, I never knew you depart from you that work iniquity. So we, we live by the rule of first mention when trying to figure out theologically. And we also live by this rule, let the scripture interpret the scripture. So where's the first time that the word new is ever used? And you go the first two or three times. One of the first couple of times that it is used, the main story is Adam and Eve, and the Bible says Adam knew Eve, and Eve brought forth Cain. She had a son. So, therefore, the biblical definition of the word new is a relationship that involves intimacy and ends in new birth. So he's referring to born-again experience. I never knew you. In other words, we were never intimate, and because we were never intimate, there was never any result in your life of that newborn, born-again nature. Wow, that's good. Right? Well, how does a person that is not born again or intimate with Christ, prophesy in his name, cast out devils in his name. Can I venture a guess? Can I guess for you real quick? My guess is that at one point, maybe they went to an altar and maybe they were serious. Maybe they got saved. Now you would argue, well, he says, I never knew you. Okay. Uh, he's not telling a real story. This is a, this is a, a parable. This is a parable. This hasn't happened yet. So you don't have to take everything 110% literal and ever, but you can, that's fine. But I would assume before they go and try to prophesy in his name that at one point in their life they believe the gospel he's right now I, I, I don't know you 
He's going to say to people, I never knew you. You did these things. How's that possible? It's the danger of the anointing. Because when I, when you preach about the anointing, and you teach about the anointing and things that I've already said today, make human beings that have decided to be Christians believe. What did I just tell you? By definition, you're anointed. Christ means anointed and you're a Christian. I've just given you a license. I've given you a license to prophesy, to cast out demons, to lay hands on the sick. I'm giving you a li- I'm, I'm issuing you a license that God gave you. I'm, I'm making it clear that you have one. I'm not really giving it to you, but you understand what I'm saying? You have a license to walk in the power of God. Somebody say amen. amen. But that's dangerous. Because some people, just because they have a license, doesn't mean they need to be driving a Ferrari. Come on now. Amen. It looks really nice. Until you wrap it around that light pole. Then it's not so nice. Okay, this is just as dangerous, but more so. Because when you lose control with the anointing and it happens, it happens to the people he's talking about in Matthew chapter 7. It's not physical life or death, it's eternal. And it's not just for one person, it's for groups of people. When you lose control with the anointing, what does that look like? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and I have not love, I'm become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Lord, do we not speak in tongues in your name? I never knew you. Though you speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, Sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. Though I had the gift of prophecy. That's a big word. That's an amazing gift. And I understand all mysteries. And I have all knowledge. And though I have all faith. Contemplate that for a second. All faith. Did you hear the word that he's using there? Faith. Aren't we saved by faith? Isn't faith amazing? Isn't there another type of faith that's listed in the nine gifts of the spirit? Isn't faith the thing that pleases God? Isn't it impossible to please God without faith? Does the Bible say when Christ returns that he's looking for faith? Paul says, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I don't have love on nothing. Losing control with the anointing. Speak to that mountain and make it move. But don't cross me. Because I understand love as a word, because I'm a Christian and I have to use that word. But I don't know the concept. That's good. And I'm anointed. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. I'm anointed for missionary work. Don't tell me I'm not godly. I sold my goods and went to Africa and by God... I've given everything to the poor. Now let me tell you how it is. Worthless. I'll give my money to the Red Cross if that's all we need. Because this is too much. I don't want to fight the devil to give my goods to the poor. I'd just rather give it to the Red Cross. They do the same thing. But they're not anointed. Oh, come on now. It's good. Though I give my body to be burned. See, right now... I'm stepping on toes. God bless you. 
Can I tell you what we're going to do in 2014? I really want to tell you what we're going to do in 2014. You can stay or leave Edgewater based on this. In 2014, we are going to love people with the fervent love of God. And if we don't do that, we're not doing another thing. And you can do whatever you want to do. You can say whatever you want to say. You can stay or you can go. But if you go, I want you to go with this. Yes. We love you and we'll never stop. Come on now. You can be angry. You can be rejecting this word right now because I know there's some people in here you think I wrote this for you, but here's the truth. I didn't write it at all. And I'm talking to a lot of people. And I'm talking to myself. We are a small and powerful congregation that stands on the brink of explosion or disaster right now. And it's going to be based on your decision to love the people around you and to love God. I'm about to switch toes. (laughs) Come on. So if I haven't offended you yet, I'm not done. (laughs) Love suffers long. Americans don't suffer long. Love suffers long and is kind. Prophesy all you want. Speak in tongues all you want. And if I'm Paul, I'm begging you to do both because in the next chapter he's going to say, I wish everybody spoke in tongues, but rather that you prophesy. So I implore you to do both. But if you can't be kind to your neighbor, smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. That's right, amen. It's a good show. It's going to be so unfortunate on the day of judgment, though, because your leaders have convinced people that through the anointing, by the anointing, they're going to get through the gates of heaven. And you think it's going to be, you think it sounds sad? Put yourself in Jesus Christ's shoes. To have to stand there and look at his own creation and say, yeah, you lost control with the anointing. Because the gifts and the callings of God are without reproach. He doesn't recall, he's not going to take it off your life. And, and you sit in the house of the, that's anointed, you get the overflow. That's the back door into the kingdom of God. If you haven't done it yourself, you can sit in a place where people are doing it and you get to experience it. And when you experience it, sometimes you can lose control with it. Love does not envy. Love vaunts not itself, neither is puffed up. That's a word on pride. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Love does not seek her own. Why are we prophesying? Why are we speaking in tongues? Why are we giving to the poor? To satisfy something inside of us? Or because we've begged God for the ability to help others? Because one of those is done in love and one is not. One is profitable, the other is not. Here's where we change shoes. Love is not easily provoked. Somebody in church wasn't kind to you. I'm sorry that they didn't walk in love in that moment. I'm not being facetious. I really am. And if it was me, I super apologize. But if you got provoked by that, equally guilty. Love is not provoked. You are not 
told ever in the Bible that it's okay not to love somebody if they don't love you first. Somebody said something mean to you, somebody you used to hug, somebody you used to kiss on the cheek, somebody you used to not be able to wait to see when you walked in the door of the sanctuary. They said something wrong, they did something wrong, and now they don't exist and you're going to blame it on them because they didn't walk in love. Maybe they didn't. But if you allowed that type of provocation in your own life, equally guilty. Oh, come on, Pastor. Come on. Oh, that's everybody's toes. Come on. Don't, don't get mad at me because it's all for me, too. It's all for me, too. Thinks no evil. Come on, guys. Here's how you judge a church. I'll give you, this, I'll give you the secret formula. You judge a church not based on its building, not based on its plans, not even based on its vision. You judge a church based on its motives. The moment that you don't trust the motives of the leadership, you're on your way out the door. You don't have to be. Something can change in you if you allow it to. But when you begin to question the motives of the church in which you sit, You need to ask the right people the right questions, first of all. So if us taking a while to get in this building made you question the motives of what we do with our money, Chris Lee, Gary Spillman, myself, would love to help you answer some of those questions because they're helping me be more accountable with everything that we do. It'll be a month maybe into 2014 before I don't even see the money anymore, which is my goal. And I feel like we're ready for that. Now we are. You have a question about that? Feel free. But don't overstep your boundaries. Come on, Pastor. You don't get to walk into somebody's office and say, hey, I give one eightieth of what comes through the door here. I want to see every dime. Where does it all go? Come on, Pastor. Well, I have have a question for you. Because we'll be transparent about what goes where, generally speaking. But I'm not going to show you who gives what, obviously, and things of that nature. And if it's that big of a concern to you, then I, I, I want to I, I throw this out there as a possibility. We teach, and when we teach about tithe and offering, that we're giving to God. And that once that money leaves your pocket and goes into that bucket, whatever the church chooses to do with it, you're not accountable yes. for that. You're just accountable for what you gave to God. Now, right. we get claps and we get amens and people believe that. But do you really believe it? That's right. Because if you start having a concern, then your concern needs to be about the motives of your leadership. And if the motives of your leadership are bad, it doesn't matter if it's the money or something else. Motive is everything. That's right. You need to find another place. But I can tell you this much. Imperfect beyond explanation. That's me. Very imperfect. My motives have never changed. Come on. I'm not saying I do it all right, and I'm not saying I'm going to do it all right in the future. But I know my assistant pastors, and they have hearts of gold. And my, I just want to, our new logo in 2014 is going to be church, period, simple, period. And that's all we want to do. We want to, we, we want to get a new building so that we can reach more people with the gospel. I, there's really no deeper explanation than that. We just want to gather people together in love. We want to love them. We want them to love each other. And we want to team up and unify because the Bible says that unity is what brings the anointing. And that anointing is the power. And that power is to do the things that God has called you to do. And if we can do that as a church and our motives stay pure, that's all we want to do. Real simple. Real simple. I don't know how to do it any other way. Come on, Pastor. I love you guys. I really do. Rejoices not in iniquity, 
but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things. Those are some big, those are some big phrases. Do you love God? Do you love people? First of all, if somebody offends you and you love them, you'll bear it. Second of all, if they turn around and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, you'll believe it. Because the Bible says right here, it bears all things and believes all things. Hopes all things. What is your thoughts concerning those that have aggravated you? Are you hoping for the best for them or are you hoping they'll leave? Are you hoping you'll get the opportunity to hug them and tell them you love them next week? Or are you hoping they won't be there? Hmm. Maybe y'all can alternate Sundays. <laughs> Never have to see them again. That sounds like a fun church. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Endures all things. Man, if we could just do that one. Yes. There's no end to the powerful, loving people of God we could become. Here is a catch-22 phrase, and we'll be done with 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 8. It says, love never fails. Oh, you guys that pray need to help me to pray. Um, love never fails. That's a tough one. Because it doesn't seem true. Love fails. You know why it fails? Because we fail to do all those things that came before that scripture. If we didn't fail to do those things, are you kidding me? Read that list. It's simple, but difficult to perform. You know, that's all it takes. You know what's not on that list specifically? Prophecy, tongues, giving giving to the poor, all the things that it says are worthless without it. In other words, what it's telling you right there is, you think in your heart that you love God and love people, how how do you measure that? Paul wants you to prophesy. The Bible wants you to speak in tongues. My God, we need to give to the poor. There's no question about that. We need missionaries. We need all these things. But if these things are your measuring stick to show that you love God... The Bible's telling you, no, not good measuring sticks. You're going to wind up at the gates of heaven saying, didn't I do all these things? And he's going to go, I I never knew you. The measuring sticks for love, kindness, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. These are the measuring sticks. If you can't do those things, the other things don't matter. I want you to be anointed. I want to be anointed. I don't want to be anointed to hurt people yeah. because you can hurt people worse when you're anointed than when you're not. That's true. Amen. I don't want to pastor a church where I'm licensing people to be anointed and walk in the power of God, but they never learn how to love. On, it's dangerous, Amen. dangerous, dangerous. These are the measuring sticks, not the other things. That's the danger of the anointing. Losing control. Psalm 45 and 7 says, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, 
has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That's a prophecy of Christ, but also we are called Christians. Also, we're little Christ. So you take that and you can use that in your own life. If you've been anointed, you're supposed to be anointed with the oil of gladness. There's nothing worse than this being your anointed face. We should start a hashtag. Anointed face. All, all these powerful people of God that... I don't want to go to lunch with you. You can't come over to my house. Don't talk to me like that or at all. Just real powerful, anointed, untouchable. I'm not saying everybody should be available to everybody all the time. That's right. But can you deliver your revelation with a little bit of love? It's not like that anointed face. I want one with a smile on it. Or if you're, it's hard to smile while you're preaching, you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> it, but uh, at the same time, uh, you should be able to feel that. It should be coming across in love. You want to be anointed, be anointed with the oil of gladness. Man, if, the, if, the, if, church, if church bothers you, and if at this point, if it is a hindrance, if it is something that is making your life worse, please, for God's sake, take a break. Look in the mirror and remember, yes. you are supposed to be anointed with the oil of gladness. And if nobody else in the congregation can endure you, I will make you this pledge in 2014. I will endure you. I'll endure it. I'll bear it. And I'll love you. You can't find love from anybody else in the congregation. Call me. I don't care what you've said about me or done to me or what I think you said or who said what. Or I, I love hearing all those things because it's a great reality television show. But at the end of the day, you can call me up and I promise you this. I'll be there for you. I'll love you. And I know that you love me. I already know that. I've heard you say it. I've seen your actions. I'm not going to toss that away because you got angry. So if nobody else will endure you, I'll endure you. And then I want to find some other people that will endure you too. So you can have two phone numbers. <laughs> we'll do that. Uh, Hebrews 1.9 reiterates... Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness. I think uh, we didn't really get to that ingredient, so we'll do it next week. We'll just call this the danger of the nest. Not a good name. We'll figure out a name later, but it'll be on podcast if you need to go back over it. Uh, yeah, there are some other things I wanted to share with you guys, but. I don't know. Maybe we've said enough. God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's have our worship team go ahead and come up. If you want to read uh, Romans chapter 6, that'll get you prepared for next week. We're going to talk about the, uh, the acacia, the fourth ingredient to the anointing oil. We might combine it with uh, the olive oil, which is the fifth ingredient. I had a, I was having a meeting with somebody uh, last week and and um, I had a couple of them I can't remember which one this was but I know we were talking and I said you know I hate repeating sermons I really do I hate repeating them this isn't a, a repeat but uh, it, there's just so much information so much revelation in the Word of God I, 
I hate going back and repeating something that I've already preached. Sometimes you have to. But on the other hand, I feel like we come in on Sundays and Wednesdays and we get a message, we get a word that we like, we get a word that hits us. Maybe what was talked about today is hitting you a little bit. And it's really good right now. But I almost feel like next week is going to damage what you receive this week. Because the next week you're going to get another word, and if you like it, you're going to start to forget about this one. What I want you to, to be able to do today when you leave is meditate on this. Because I believe this is a right now word for our congregation. I really, really do. Because there's just a few things that we're dealing with, just a few things that we're missing to be on a whole nother level. And I hope those things were, were sort of covered or handed at today. That's what it was supposed to be about. Um, and I didn't know if that's what it was going to be about until I started talking. But I hope that we've covered that. But it would be detrimental to let that last for three days or one week. Meditate on this. Read the scriptures that were shared and reflect in your own life. If you're, if you're not one to get together and pray with your family or read the Bible with your family or talk about God with your family, I, I understand that can be difficult to do. I want to ask you and challenge you, do that this week. Based on some of the things we talked about today, because this needs to be a reflective word. I'm going to do that with some people that I can do that with. It needs to be reflective. You need to figure out where you stand here. It might be a real good idea to start every day off with 1 Corinthians 13. Figure out where you lack, figure out where you can get better. Figure out a different way on that list to love people that day.